thank you for each testimony that was given tonight. We thank you that we can look at concrete, specific events that transpire in our life and know that you're responsible for them. Lord, we're thankful for your provision or your blessing, your grace and your mercy, your forgiveness, your life, and Lord, the fact that you want to use us as your servants. We thank you for your blessings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I have teens dismissed to their class. And the rest of us, let's turn in our Bibles. We're going to look at several passages of Scripture tonight. We're continuing on our basic uh, study, our time of learning how to study the Bible. And uh, tonight I want to put uh, a more practical application. Sometimes people wonder how you arrive at certain doctrines. And so... Uh, what I'd like for us to do is look at the doctrine of the Lord's Supper. And what we're going to do is uh, we're going to apply the rules that we have been studying and trying to put into uh, practice over the last several months. Uh, I believe this is our eighth lesson on this. And so let's go to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. And uh, we're just going to read a few verses here, verses 26 through 28. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of of sins. Let's just keep reading. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Now, sometimes uh, people say, why do you end your service with a hymn? Well, it's because that's what they did. And uh, we don't end every service with a hymn. Our prayer meeting, we don't. But our regular morning service, Sunday morning and Thursday nights. Uh, uh, in fact, we have sung the same hymn almost without exception for 20 years. I think of only one or two times we've sung another hymn. Uh, it's just a little tradition that uh, we do here. And uh, that doesn't make it either right or wrong. It's just something we've chosen to do. And when you leave... If you don't take the name of Jesus with you, what you got in the church really wasn't as good as you thought it was. Amen. Uh, that's what we try to do and try to remind us of, remind you of every time we leave this place, we are to take Jesus' name into the world in which we live. Now, that has nothing to do with the Lord's Supper, but it's connected here, and so I figured we'd just pick up on it. And so we just read the... Uh, biblical history of the institution of the Lord's Supper. Let's go over to Mark chapter 14, a parallel passage here. Mark chapter 14. Remember, one of the, plate, one of the ways to study the Bible is if you want to know what God says about something, read every passage that talks about the same thing. We'll start reading in verse 22 of Mark chapter 14. 
And as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave to them, said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup when he had given thanks. He gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said unto them, This is the blood of the New Testament, which is shed for you. Verily I say unto you, I will drink no more the fruit of the vine until that day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. In verse 26, and when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Now let's go to Luke chapter 22. And we'll start reading in verse 19. And he took bread and gave thanks and brake it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Now, that is what the Bible says about the Lord's Supper. Now, let me tell you something. Books could be written about what people say about the Lord's Supper. In fact, people have been imprisoned and put to death because of what they believed about the Lord's Supper. In uh, medieval England, it was one of the uh, one of the clarion calls of uh, the monarch who's became become to be known as Bloody Mary is his presence in the Mass. And if you answered no, they took you out and burnt you at the stake, imprisoned you, tortured you, confiscated your property. It was a horrible time. We look at these passages here, and we should see something very apparent. The Lord's Supper was to be a very simple, private thing. How many disciples were gathered in the upper room on the day of Pentecost? Anybody remember? You remember, Philip? No, okay, I thought you were just sticking your hand up. A hundred and twenty. How many attended when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper? Twelve. Beside the Lord Jesus himself. And one of those was Judas the betrayer of the Lord. And yet, people have made the Lord's Supper into all kinds of things. The Lord's Supper is not a feel-good. We always, we always get calls. When are you having the Lord's Supper so that I can come visit? And say, wrong church. We, we don't do it that way. Why? In fact, years ago, we just followed uh, basically the pattern that I had learned as a child and in other churches uh, to tack the Lord's Supper on at the end of a service. And no matter when we did it, we always had visitors. And I had a dear little lady from Korea. She, she didn't act very dear that day. Uh, but she came up to me. She says, you think we Presbyterians dirty Christians? And I said, no, we're not thinking that at all. But as a church, 
we limit the taking of the Lord's Supper to those who are members of the church. But actually, the Bible puts it a little more strict than that. And uh, let's go to the parallel passage where Paul was explaining to the Corinthians about what the Lord's Supper is about. And by the way, the only time I used the word Mass was in referring to the English tradition of the Lord's Supper during the time of uh, Bloody Mary's reign because that's not a Bible word. The Lord's Supper is not the Mass. And uh, they are not equivalent In fact, the Mass is a ceremony, an elaborate ritual which has been developed by mankind that has absolutely nothing to do with what happened in the Bible. In the Bible, Jesus was there with his disciples for the Passover meal. At the end of the meal, he took a piece of Passover bread. He broke it. He said, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. He took the cup after they had supped. The Bible tells us, which I believe in the Jewish Seder was the cup of blessing. He gave thanks. He passed it around. And every time that it is mentioned in the scripture, it says, this is the New Testament in my blood, or the blood of the New Testament, never once did Jesus say, this is my blood, drink it. Never once. And so, when we teach about this doctrine, it is almost like we have to spend more time unteaching all of the things that people have written into and and attributed to the Lord's Supper than we possibly could teaching about what's in the Bible because we just read everything that is in the Bible that is about the institution as Jesus put the Lord's Supper into force with his disciples. Just a few verses, my friend. And we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we come down here... To uh, Well, let's pick up verse 19 so we have the general context. Paul is not happy with what's going on in the Corinthian church. And in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 19, he said, For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. Don't be surprised that there are people who believe wrong things about the Bible. Study your Bible. God says, listen, there's going to be people out there. They they must be manifest. You've got to make the heresies plain so that you can know what is true and what is right. Now, verse 20, he starts into this uh, instruction on the Lord's Supper. When ye come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. He said, every time you, you come together as a church... That's not about the Lord's Supper. What? Well, let's finish. For in eating, everyone taketh before his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and to drink in, or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. 
Now, apparently, there was a lot of stuff going on in that Corinthian church. It was just absolutely uh, the word we would use in name. That is stupid without a reason. I mean, it is just uh, incredibly ridiculous. And some of this, Paul doesn't explain everything, but he's saying in eating, you take before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. So apparently, people were bringing in alcoholic wine. People were bringing in food and eating it, and not sharing with others. So people were going hungry. I mean, how many of you like our church dinners? I mean, when we have a church dinner, it's a lot of fun now, isn't it? And if you go hungry... That's your choice. Uh, But that's not the Lord's Supper. Uh, Sometimes after, especially one of those missions dinners, it's, Lord, forgive me for eating too much. How about that? But you got to try a little bit of everything. I mean, it's a time of enjoyment and fellowship. That wasn't going on in Corinth. And somehow they equivocated because of the Passover meal that there should be a church-wide banquet every time uh, they had uh, this thing. And there were some people that apparently were not as well off as others in the church. And some of the members got tired of sharing and they would bring this big spread and let other people go hungry. You can't imagine that going on. How could you have Christian love one with another and not share. but And yet, they were taking that and attaching it to what we call the Lord's Supper. Now, when we have the Lord's Supper, if you get full or uh, you... Uh, uh, that, that is not what it's about. It is... Uh, and we'll get... Let's just read. Before I say something I shouldn't say. Amen. Uh, for I received, verse 23, of the Lord, that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Now that's the ceremony. That's all there is. You give thanks, break the bread, eat the bread, give thanks, take the cup, drink the cup, it's over. Now, we do things maybe a little differently than they did in the Bible times. How many of you are glad that we don't take one cup and pass it to everybody to drink out of? Uh, But traditionally, that's what they did at the Passover meal. Uh, That's uh, not at the Passover meal, but the early church did that. That's not part of the ceremony. Yet, if you go to certain parts of the world, if you don't drink, all drink out of the same cup, you know, you're some filthy heathen and all that. No, I just don't want to get what you have. Amen. 
or give you what I might have. Let's, let's share our faith, not our germs. Amen? Uh, that's not part of the meal. And yet people have read that in. All it is, is taking of the bread. Now, here is the purpose, taking of the, of the wine. And we'll talk about the wine in just a moment. Verse 26, for as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Now, that is the purpose of the Lord's Supper. And uh, I'm sorry, my blood pressure goes up every time I think of Mel Gibson's movie. I mean, it just... and Because every time I read this passage... One of the things that Mr. Gibson said about his movie is, I want to show the Lord's death. That's not how you show God's death. That's not how you show Jesus' death on the cross. It is when the church comes together and remembers what Jesus has done. That's how we show his death. You see, Jesus' public death was a shameful, horrid thing. In fact, if we were to recreate that in all of its detail, which Mr. Gibson did a pretty poor representation of, and he already had an R-rated movie, uh, you wouldn't want to show that in public. I mean, the cross was a horrible thing. The Bible says he endured the cross despising the shame. The Bible says that his sacrifice was one time and that it was never to be repeated. God is not a God that enjoys shame. He is a God that enjoys glory. And we glorify Jesus because he was willing to endure the shame. Amen? We lift him up because he allowed himself to be lifted up on the cross. But there's something we need to remember. That was a one-time event for all history. Never to be repeated again. You say, well, how does that correlate to the Lord's Supper? We'll get there in a minute fully, but that's why we use plain bread symbolizing the pure body of Jesus Christ. That's why we break the bread, symbolizing his suffering. That's why we use, as we use unleavened bread, we use unleavened wine. You say, what is unleavened wine? Grape juice. And somebody said, but that's not, wine is alcohol. No. How many of you know what a wine press is? What comes out of a wine press? Grape juice. There's absolutely no time from the time you put the grapes into the press and you press the juice out of them. The fermentation process is a long and carefully guarded process. In fact, the idea, don't try this. If I take a bottle of Welch's and throw it under the couch and get it out in six months, it'll be good. No, it won't. It'll make you very ill and could even kill you. Uh... If you want wine, you have to process it. Getting back to the pictures and the types, how in the world could you take grape juice processed by men to represent the pure 
blood of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense to anybody? The only people it makes sense to is people who like their vino. And uh, I've gotten into some pretty heated arguments about that. And I said, we don't argue about that here. I said, you can argue all you want, but how in the world can you use rotten grape juice? I mean, how many people know where alcoholic content from the wine comes from? Uh, let me see if I can put this as mildly as possible. Alcohol is the excrement of the yeast bacteria in the wine. Does that, I mean, that's as politely as I can put it. Uh, I just have no desire. Aside from all of the things that the Bible speaks about alcohol and its evils. There's just no, no need. No biblical command. And I consider it blasphemous to use alcoholic beverage, something processed by man to represent the pure blood of Jesus Christ. You see, we keep the pictures. The bread is a picture of Jesus' body. The only ingredients in the bread, flour, water. When we go to, we usually use matzah bread when we have the Lord's Supper. The reason we use matzah bread is because matzah is the traditional Passover bread. But you know what? You have to be careful when you go to the store to buy the matzah bread because some of it has garlic in it and some of it has uh, flavorings. And there's even some matzah bread that has yeast in it. Uh, now, if I were to buy one of those varieties, that would not picture the Lord's body, now would it? So we have to be careful. In fact, I knew of a preacher who became rather famous. He thought it was cute. He said, we were at the beach and we decided to celebrate the Lord's Supper and all we had was Dorito chips and Coke, and so we used that. Let, let me tell you something, that's blasphemy. We want to follow what the Scripture is because there are some strong injunctions here as we go through the passage, verse 27, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep or are dead. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come. The Lord's Supper is not a time of the satisfying of the soul with food. The Lord's Supper is a time of personal examination of your spiritual relationship with God. 
It is a time when we are to look at our lives. We are to examine. I like to call it spring cleaning for the soul. I like to call it a time where you investigate yourself and make sure that you're right with God. Now, let me ask you a question. Can you make other people right with you? If somebody is angry at you, if somebody has something against you, and you've gone to them and and sought their forgiveness and, and done everything that is humanly possible, can you make them forgive you? No, you cannot. But you'd better make sure that you are right when you take the Lord's Supper. Now, Paul was writing this letter to whom? The Corinthian church. Do you think if the Lord's Supper, as many Protestants believe, is a, time, uh, is a celebration of unity, and so we ought to call the, the, the Presbyterian church from across here and the Lutheran church from over here, and we can all have the Lord's Supper together... If it was that important, don't you think Paul would have said something about it? You say, well, you're arguing from silence. And uh, that, that is the case. But the point that I'm trying to make is, Paul said, if you're going to partake of this, you've got to be right with God. Now, what does it mean to be right with God? Number one, it means you've got to be saved. Amen. If you are saved and you refuse to be biblically baptized, are you right with God? No, you're not. If you're saved and you're biblically baptized and you're out of fellowship with your local church, are you right with God? No. Uh, If you're saved and you're baptized and you're in fellowship with your local church and you're out of fellowship with one person in the church... Are you right with God? No. To be right with God, you've got to be right with God and with man as much as is humanly possible. As much as lieth within you, live peaceably with all men. Amen? I mean, are you right with God if you're right with everybody in the church and baptized and all of that and you hate the Democrats? Uh, Let me tell you, not right with God. You've got to get those problems solved. Because bitterness and anger and unforgiveness in your heart are the reasons why Jesus died on the cross. And when we show the Lord's death till he come, as the Bible tells us to do, what we are doing is we're showing that the work on the cross was finished. We just remember it. Uh, Do you remember the Passover meal? What was the Passover meal all about? It was the remembrance of God's judgment passing over Egypt. Passover was a remembrance, not a recreation. How would you recreate that? Without breaking a whole lot of commandments. I mean, there was not a home in the land of Egypt 
where the blood was not on the door that the firstborn of that family didn't die. You were not commemorating the death of the Egyptians. You were commemorating the deliverance from slavery. Passover is a picture of salvation. You want a neat picture? Passover, salvation. What do you think the Red Sea crossing was a picture of? Baptism. Yeah, we're Baptists. We like that. Uh, What was the wanderings in the wilderness a picture of? The carnal Christian life. Everybody, all the songwriters picture Canaan land as a picture of heaven. But what was the first thing they did when they got to Canaan land? They fought a battle. We won't fight any battles when we get to heaven. Amen. They'll all be fought for us. Canaan land is a picture of the obedient Christian life. The book of Judges shows us that even once you reach obedience, you can slack off and you can backslide and you can lose the blessings of God. And there's there's an awful lot of things that uh, show us in the Bible. The Passover is a picture of salvation. We show the Lord's death till he comes because we want to be reminded that the work of the Lord in salvation has been finished. The payment for sins is done. We want to know that the um, that salvation is eternal and it belongs to us the moment we accept Jesus as our Savior. People have read so many things into this simple event called the Lord's Supper. I don't know of anything more blasphemous to the Scriptures than the event that the Roman Catholic Church calls the Mass, the uh, Episcopal Church calls it the Eucharist the uh, or the Epiphany. And uh, I believe the Orthodox Church calls it the Mass or Communion, right? And uh, they claim through the power of the church that they re-crucified Jesus and that the elements that are offered are his actual blood and his actual flesh. Now, it's interesting, the Catholic Church claimed that the blood was actually the blood of Christ, but the priest, for centuries, drank it all for everybody. None of the people in the church got the wine. And unfortunately, when we lived in Ohio, I saw this great big complex right around the corner on State Street, just a few blocks away, and I remember asking one of the guys in on staff there at the church, said, what is that great big mausoleum-looking thing on State Street? And they said, oh, that's the drunk tank where they send the priest because they're drinking all the wine they become alcoholics and they have to send them somewhere to get straightened out and ship them back to their parishes. And I'm going, no, you're making that up. He said, no, because that's... What, how could that picture Jesus shed blood on the cross? Can you explain that to me? I, I don't understand. How can you part and parcel salvation? What church thinks that it has the right to re-crucify the Lord of the church every time they decide to do it? 
You see, if you read your Bible, John chapter 6, where Jesus said, This is my blood is drink indeed, and my meat is, my body is meat indeed. Just read down to verse 63. He said, The things that I speak, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. He was talking about partaking of his death on the cross. The moment you get saved, what happens? The shed blood of Jesus on the cross means you don't shed yours. You've partaken of that. His body dying on the cross means you don't have to die. It has been attributed to your account. And you are set free. Praise God, that is a spiritual transaction. And it happens once and it's good for all eternity. It's called being born again. Jesus was trying to help those understand and and I love the way Jesus taught. There's just a little part of me uh, that as you read John chapter 6, you see him taking the words and the reasoning of the Pharisees and the religious leaders and just using them as a club. Knock them over to the head and they just, who can, who can hear it? It's a hard saying and they walk away. Jesus goes to his own disciples and said, you're going to leave too? Peter said, whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. You know what Peter was saying? Lord, I don't understand the thing you just said. It doesn't make a bit of sense to me. But I know who you are. And I'm staying with you. And that's the place of the believer. The Lord's Supper, to state it very succinctly, is a time... For the members of a church to examine themselves. To make sure that they are right with God. And with everybody that they have contact with. It is a time for us as a church. To remind ourselves that it is finished and sin is paid for. And that's why we've confessed our sin and cleansed ourselves before we take the Lord's Supper. By the way, should we not be ready to take the Lord's Supper anytime? We should be. We should, as one preacher put it, keep our accounts short with the Lord. Keep them reconciled, up to date. How many of you have ever tried to reconcile six months of your checking account at one time? Never comes out right. You got to do it constantly to keep it right. And the Lord wants us to stay right. That's why we limit it to the members of our church. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that a pastor has responsibility for what he does in the church. I don't want to be responsible for somebody coming through those doors who just got in a big fight with somebody at their church and they're mad and they lie about it and say, oh, I'm just visiting tonight. Can I take the Lord's Supper? I have no way of knowing what's going on in their life. I'm not taking that responsibility. I'm sorry. Because it's not in keeping with the biblical command. And so even when we have 
people of churches I know, uh, independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, like-minded churches, if we're having the Lord's Supper and they happen to be here, I remember, uh, give you an example. How many of you know Brother Clayton? He's a man that trained me in the ministry. He was visiting one time. He gave me a call and said, Pete, I just happened to have a free Sunday night. Uh, what are you doing? I said, man, Brother Clayton, come preach for us. He said, but we're having the Lord's Supper an hour before church. He said, no problem, I'll just stay in the mission room. You see, he's not a member of Open Door. He wants to be careful in leading us in the right direction. Because, see, the Lord's Supper is not part of your salvation. You don't get extra grace by partaking of it. But I will tell you this. How many of you enjoy the blessings of partaking of the Lord's Supper together as a church? Special time now, isn't it? And it is a challenge. And, and I know everybody wants the Lord's Supper at Easter time. And I'm sorry, I'm just a mean pastor. We had the Lord's Supper a couple weeks ago because it had been a while. And we'll have the Lord's Supper in another couple weeks. Because the Bible says, as oft as you do it. And one of the things that I want our church to be careful of, that it never becomes a habit at Open Door. That it never just becomes something we do the first Sunday of every month or something we have to do. I want it to be a special time, just like the Bible says. It's not a time to eat physical food. It's a time to be spiritually examined and to remind ourselves of what Jesus has done. Now, I hope that you have seen in the verses that we've read that our application of those verses is in keeping not only with the words, but with the spirit, with the understanding and the practice of what Jesus did with his disciples and what Paul was instructing the early church to do. And so we try to make our keeping of the Lord's Supper as simple and as biblical as we can. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't always take the stand that we do right now. I'd had a lot of influence from other people. I began studying the Bible. I said, no, we've, we've got to limit this thing. We don't have the right to just serve it to anybody. It is people whose hearts are right with God and want constant. If you can't be right in your own local church, let me tell you something. You're not right anywhere you go. And so uh, we try to as biblically and we apply these principles to everything we do. We see what the Bible says. We'll talk about baptism in a couple of weeks, Lord willing, and, and go through all the things and, and the, the processes by which we arrive at our doctrine. What we do does not violate or change or bend one word of the Scriptures. It gives us the simplest and most consistent way of keeping in line with what the Scriptures teach. You say, well, there's nothing in the Bible about church membership. 
Uh, no. It's understood. You serve God through your local church. You can't find any other way in the Bible. And so, therefore, we celebrate the Lord's Supper as a local church. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can study it and learn things from it. Go to it. And Lord, we do not claim perfection based upon what we believe, but Lord, we believe what your word says. And we believe we found a simple and consistent way to just be obedient to your word. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for this ordinance, as we call it. So simple. Just a few verses in the Bible. But Lord, the, the pictures that are there, we just literally scraped the surface, have not delved into them hardly at all tonight. The practice is so simple, just a few sentences. Lord, we're thankful for the blessings and the dearness of this simple ordinance to our hearts and to our church. And Lord, our prayer is that we would be faithful in the exercise of this ordinance till you come back for us. In Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, maybe the Lord's spoken to you about something.